All right. Uh, I am Nicole. And I'm Caitlin. And today we have a couple of very special guests on our episode. We have the guys from our sister podcast, Out of Contracts. Do you guys want to introduce Yay! yourselves? I'm Ryan. And I'm Brady. Hey. All right. And this is... That's, That's not, not how science works. works. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> you survived. <laughs> I felt on sync, which means it's probably a hot mess. <laughs> Made a piece of media, really you tried. But when I saw the science in it, little part of me died. If you had only done your research on weather balloons, then maybe us STEM lovers wouldn't have to cry inside. Oh, that's not how science works. Oh, that's not how science works. This nonsense, but it wasn't researched. If I think too much about it, it makes my head hurt. That's not how science works. Oh, that's not how science works. That's not how science works. So, um, Ryan and Brady, why don't you give us uh, a little background about yourself and maybe a little bit about your podcast and any science credentials you may or may not have? Uh, Brady, why don't you uh, go first? Okay, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm Brady. I'm uh, currently working as a, uh, a surgical fellow. Um, so I like, did a surgery residency and now I'm uh, in general surgery. Now I'm doing a fellowship, so kind of a doctor still in training. Um, so most of my science knowledge is kind of a specific sort of limited amount of, of medical related, but, um, you know, had a biology major in back in college. Um, so decent amount of science familiarity. So. We should have had you when we watched episode one where they just cut someone's leg open. <laughs> yeah, so I was, list- I, w- I was listening to your episode on that. I didn't watch that episode of the show, but but no, compartment syndrome is a real thing. I don't know how good of a fasciotomy they did, but that's definitely a, they, I mean, a it thing. wasn't the worst. Okay. It wasn't the worst part of that episode. I, I did enjoy the fact that she was just sort of up and like it was never addressed again after that. She just kind of like had a crutch for the next scene and then she recovered from then very on seems quickly. to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ryan. <laughs> uh, yeah, my name's Ryan. Uh, I am a uh, writer and editor for a boarding company here in, in Minnesota. And um, uh, as far as my uh, scientific background, I think I got a blue ribbon on like a, something in the science fair nice. um, when I was uh, a Very kid. Nice. Very so, good. Nice. Very good. It's perfect. As we've said before, <laughs> having a science background is not a requirement for our podcast. That's good. We are science enthusiasts. We do not uh, put ourselves out to be science experts. <laughs> yes. That's fair. Um, and so today we are going finally back and watching more of Lost in Space. 
And uh, Ryan and Brady have a podcast where they watch random episodes of Star Trek and then talk about them. So we thought it would be great for them to do the same thing for our podcast. Just come in, no prior knowledge necessarily of Lost in Space, and just watch some episodes and talk about them with us. Exactly. (laughs) And Caitlin and Nicole will be on our show probably dropping sometime after this one based on our weird production schedule. Um, But definitely check them out when that does happen. We'll we'll cross-promote. They were much kinder to us in quality of episode that we had yes. to watch. <laughs> I, I did not like that Star Trek episode, and you and I would have to agree. <laughs> yeah, we watched the finale of the first season of Star Trek Discovery, and um, we talked about how you cannot make a volcano explode with a bomb. So Yep. <laughs> uh, okay, so usually um, if you... Uh, have followed along with our Flash episodes. We usually have covered two episodes at a time. With Lost in Space this time, we decided we needed to cover three episodes because in the first two, there's just not a lot of science going on. And I wasn't sure if we would able to talk about it for a full hour. So There's also not a lot of like other things. It's true. Not a lot of general menace. Not a lot <laughs> happened in these episodes. Uh, I would say probably the fifth episode has the most plot, and even then, it's just mostly like making a giant flashlight that they break at the end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Caitlin, if you want me to, I will be willing to summarize all of the episodes, so you do not have to. <gasps> Bless you, <laughs> because I vaguely remember what happened, and I just watched some of these an hour ago. So, um, so in episode three, uh, if you remember, the Robinsons managed to get their ship out of the underwater, but now they're um, sitting on a shelf of ice, and they find out that the ice is starting to break, and bad things are going to happen unless they get their ship up and running again. But since there was also a big sandstorm that came in, their ship isn't working properly because of all of the sand particulates and like dirt and stuff. So they have to take apart a bunch of the pieces of their rocket ship and clean it out. And meanwhile, they find out that something else appears to be wrong with the ship. And they find out that they're these like giant jet fuel eating critters that have somehow gotten onto their ship and they're just like eating the jet fuel and occasionally trying to attack a person, but mostly just eating the jet fuel. Um, and so they fight some critters. They get the parts all cleaned up and stuck back together. But then they have trouble starting the ship because of all the critters. So they decide that the solution is to flush all of the jet fuel with the critters. And then basically use the very last bit with the fumes to get off the ice shelf. Which they do, and they get out, but they don't get very far before they kind of have to crash land again. And that's all that happens in the episode. I was going to say, don't forget, we get some lovely flashbacks to how the evil Dr. Smith got onto the Oh, that's right. Yes. And if you remember, there's a dumb evil Dr. Smith (laughs) who we already know she's not really a doctor, but basically she had a sister. She appears to be a twin sister on Earth. And her sister's like, I'm going Alpha Centauri and you can have all my stuff because I'm leaving. And then she's like, no, screw you. I'm going to Alpha Centauri. So she drugs her sister and she assumes her identity and gets onto the ship. She's found out because apparently her sister was having some affair with some dude that's also going to Alpha Centauri. And he realizes that she is not who she says she is. So she gets captured 
by the people on the ship and they're gonna probably kill her but then she manages to get away right about the same time that the robot attacks the ship and causes all of the problems that made the robinson little vessel pod thing land crash land on the planet in the first place i i did not care for these three episodes very much overall but i will say there was one like bit of writing in the flashbacks that i that i was very pleasantly surprised by which is um so something that like drives me nuts about a lot of science fiction like where like something happens and then like people have to keep it a secret is that like there's no way there wouldn't be security footage or like like in the future like it's like we already are like constantly surveilled now basically the reason why the the evil doctor gets in trouble is because she half accidentally half on purpose shoots this guy who finds her out out of the airlock and he dies and then it cuts away from that flashback in the episode and i was like that's stupid like like why they, <laughs> they're, they're trying to tell us that, like no one would have any record of her doing that and then in the next flashback you see like several minutes later she's under arrest and the guy's like we saw you in the security cameras and i was like oh <laughs> yes. good that's that's what it should be like that's <laughs> and it did make me it did i did like that because i think that so often like they just kind of pretend that we ex- that they exist in a world where no one would have seen that kind of thing happening. Yeah. In a thing where, like, that would have been her, like, big secret in, like, another show. They were just like, oh, no, someone saw her do that. Of course they would. They like, caught her you know. almost immediately. Yeah, actually, now that you mention that, I remember thinking that at the same time, too. Oh, see, what we were thinking, I, was, I forced my siblings to watch this with me. Uh, my sister was like, okay, if I have two-factor authentication to use my phone or my email or whatever, why is there not two-factor to send someone out the airlock? Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, the airlock You can just, like, bump into the button. And... Was yeah. incredibly Whoops. stupid. Like, you would you would think that, because they all have, like, these little, like, wristbands, you would think that the airlock would be programmed to not flush the airlock if anyone with those little bands is inside. But instead, they just kind of bump it. He goes in the airlock. He's like, turn it off. She's like, um, should I? And then after yeah. 10 seconds, it just flushes him out into space. <laughs> right. Okay, then. <laughs> yeah, uh, Brady and I did an episode on an original series, Star Trek, that, that there's something very similar where like yes. the implication is that Kirk either accidentally or on purpose like jettisoned uh, part of the ship where a guy was in it and he died and and then like you see the reason why they think this could be the case is that like there's just a, a jettison button on, on the armchair yeah the captain's chair has three buttons and it's like go to yellow alert go to red alert, go to red alert. jettison <laughs> my rival into space yeah. <laughs> that sounds so right oh yes yes so anyways you guys mentioned that you did maybe want to talk a little bit about this episode I also have one thing that I really want to talk about, basically, like, do animals eat jet fuel? <laughs> I thought about looking that up, and I, I decided I wasn't sure that, that I would be able to get very far with it. I, to Brady, I was describing that, like, this whole episode is basically just, like, what if what if the Dianoga scene from Star Wars, but, like, the whole, but for an hour? <laughs> yeah. But then, like, later on when it was revealed that they were eating uh, jet fuel, I was like, oh, what if... The Minox scene yes. from Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, my my science topic I did take from this episode. There is like another like little subplot in this episode. Uh, someone has used their 3D printer to do something. And for some reason, like whoever has done this has 
has logged it so you can't see what they made. And, you know, the the wife suspects the husband of, like, making a weapon. And he's like, well, I didn't use it. I, I, I thought about it, but I didn't. And, and then it turns out uh, at the end that the robot has used it to make a gun to give to uh, to Will. I am not, like, someone who knows very much about, like, gun technology or anything like that. But I've been, like, aware for a number of years people have been trying to, like, come up with, like, how to 3D print a gun and I've always kind of been like well how does that I, I'm not really understanding how that works but also like not really understanding that much about how firearms work in general but I was like well I, maybe I should just like look this up and I should disclaim and say that I'm not advocating that you do do this it is an open question legally whether it is legal to 3d print your own gun and it, there have definitely been cases brought against people who offer plans so just for our listeners don't go out there yes sharing plans for this <laughs> i i would in general just not advocate going down this avenue period but yes <laughs> yeah no I, I i would agree with that i don't think it's a good idea both for other people's safety and your own too for reasons that i'll explain in a second i don't know the nature of the printer in terms of like is it just like using hard plastic or are there like other components in there like can it shoot lasers or is it an actual like gun gun i don't know the answer to that um yeah that's a good question because we talked a little bit about the free 3d printer in our last lost in space episode because they print something very quickly even though 3d printers typically take a long time to print what they do mm -hmm. um yeah but part of it is too when we're talking about 3d printing guns usually from what I understand, again, I don't advocate this and I'm not a part of this, but from what I have heard, you're not printing the entire gun from scratch. Usually you're just printing part of the gun. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so I forget. I mean, I honestly don't know that much about guns myself, but I know that there is a certain part of the gun that that's the part that you have to, you know, like if you're buying a gun, that's basically the part that they have to do the background check for. And so some yes. of what it is with the 3D printing is that people will take the parts of the gun that you don't need the background check for and then combine it with 3D printing that specific part of the gun. I remember there was a really interesting Planet Money episode about this uh, a while ago. I'll see if I can dig it up. But, mm -hmm. but I think that's a really interesting topic to bring up, Ryan. So I did like, a little bit of research on it. And, and it's interesting because this is obviously like a very hot topic. Like a lot a lot of the articles I was looking up did not really talk about like the specifics of how it actually uh, yeah. works. It was mostly just like is because there's there's one group in particular that is kind of working on this um, and one guy in particular who's working on this. And so most of the articles I saw were kind of like, is he allowed to do that? Like, what are the mm -hmm. implications of doing it? Like, and there was not very much about like how it actually uh, worked, but I did enough research. I think I, I have kind of like a basic idea, which is the way that like firearms these days work. And I, I do apologize if you are, if you know a lot about guns, I'm probably going to make a very simplistic version of, of like this. But but essentially, like your uh, bullet casings have like a propellant in them. And when you pull a trigger that like uh, pushes the the firing pin in a gun forward, pushing the firing pin forward is what kind of like causes a, uh, a chain reaction or like a, a small like explosion in the cartridge of like the bullet casing. Uh, and that that is what propels the bullet out of the gun. You know, th in theory, if you could get a plastic gun to do that, you know, it could theoretically uh, work. You're, you're right. Like there are parts of guns that can be 
made this way up and then there is like a group of people um that is working on like trying to make as much as possible like a full a full gun out of this material but there are a lot of like basically um logistical issues with it in terms of like one, one of the things is that like you can't really use uh 3d printing to make rifling very well if at all which is rifling is basically like the 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 grooves in the barrel of a gun um it, it, those are the those like allow the gun the, the bullet to spin which the stabilizes the shot like so if you don't have rifling in your gun it's not going to be uh nearly as accurate mm-hmm. uh for example but like kind of the the biggest thing is that uh plastic is just not as durable as metal and so <laughs> the heat from the gun like the heat from like the bullets passing out of the gun could like can like melt the plastic of the barrel or just like the the explosion inside of the gun can cause the gun to like literally like explode in your hands which is like why it's not safe like even to fire them and this is something that i found, found pretty interesting because like this is like an engineering uh problem that because like metal is like more or more durable durable it can like take like the strain of like the backfire and that kind of a thing on the gun better than plastic would. And so they, they actually, the people who've been working on this have had to try to compensate for that by making like elements of like the interior of the gun, like curved uh, in a way that they weren't in a, they wouldn't be in like in a, in a regular metal gun because they're trying to like come up with ways to like absorb the shock and like make it more of like a spring rather than something that just has to, just take this like blunt force and even still like there is a there is like a a prototype of the gun that that like can work pretty well like there's been videos of people testing it where like it's fired like it's like a semi-auto i think and it it, it's you know could fire up to like 600 rounds like without like breaking but that's not going to be every version of that gun either because there are like a lot of you know today's 3d printing technology is kind of not exactly the most exact science. Especially not ones that like regular people would be able to get their hands on commercially. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Even the version that's like kind of the full thing is not quite fully plastic because the firing pin itself they 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 use a nail, like a like a okay. metal nail instead of a instead of plastic. They tried to make a hard a hardened plastic uh, pin, but it just was not precise enough to actually not precise enough and durable enough for it to work so Mm -hmm. uh if if they can just like make guns like that in the future like there's clearly been some updates to the capabilities of uh of 3d printing which obviously you know the the show's application is that there has been yeah but the interesting thing like that you brought up is like i'm i don't think he also printed like a whole bunch of bullets to go with that gun so i do wonder what it's supposed to shoot out It's interesting, too, because the only other time that we've seen them use the 3D printer, it printed out something that I'm pretty sure was made of plastic, but there are 3D printers that can print metal. It's funny because, like, in our universe, right, like, you can't have a 3D printer that prints plastic and also metal, but maybe in the dystopian future of Lost in Space, they do have that. I mean, in this very episode, they 3D printed in one hour a wrench that ratchets and that came straight yeah, out that's of the printer. Yeah, that's, right. that's true. That's true. That's true. Um, it's a, you know, all I'm saying is that this group that does the Alpha Centauri missions, they got some nice equipment. Yep. They got some nice equipment <laughs> on those little ships. <laughs> yeah, but that was a great, yeah. uh, great thing to pick up on. Yeah. So what I wanted to talk about is that uh, one of the big focuses of this episode is that there are these critters that eat 
jet fuel. And I, watching this episode, was thinking, I don't think that there are critters out there that eat jet fuel, but I want to be sure. And um, I was correct. So <laughs> the funniest part is actually is I, I googled like something like, can animals eat gasoline? <laughs> and one of the first things that came up is this forum where people are talking about different animals chewing through gasoline tanks that they had. <laughs> so I guess it's not totally uncommon that especially bears will be attracted to the smell of gasoline. That being said, I don't think the bears actually just straight up guzzle the gasoline. I think that the closest analogous animal that we have on Earth, which I, I had actually been aware of before this end episode is that there are bacteria that eat gasoline and they use them in, to clean up oil spills mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. I will post an article that was talking about how bacteria were going to be used to clean up the uh, deep water horizon oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico um, the other thing is that bacteria are ones that like they're what create fossil fuels by breaking down um, like old very old um you know plants and animal matter uh, so that from the perspective of like there are things out there that quote unquote will eat fuel but the things that are eating fuel in this show are like these giant slug monsters yeah like giant and, eels right and not tiny bacteria so i don't think that that is very plausible. I mean, I guess that they are on an alien planet, but they just kind of stumble upon these. And you find out in the next episode that everyone who has crash landed on this planet has had this problem. Like, apparently there are these eel slugs everywhere, just yeah, eating just sort of everyone's right jet fuel. <laughs> yeah. can, can I say a brief thing about the physiology of those? Yeah. Uh, so at one point when they first discover that these eels exist, the dad take, takes one of them up from downstairs and then and then puts them on the table and then the mom says i've never seen anything like it and i was like i have it looks like an eel <laughs> <laughs> it's not like that weird looking yeah. in, you know on earth eels do not in fact eat jet fuel well and penny my least favorite of the daughters it's not fair because judy's the best character on the whole show so I disagree. I think Judy is, like, also annoying. Uh, but she was, like, sprinkling salt around, and the mom was like, good idea, because, like, they're eels. But if they are, like, eels, they're not our eels. So... <laughs> right. Right. It's, the whole thing is preposterous. So, anyways, that's pretty much all I have for that episode. The other thing that I have is the one piece of good science in this is the idea that their engine might not work right because it has a bunch of dust particulates in it from this big storm they went through. That actually makes sense. So, like, having to go through and clean all of them out to fix your rocket ship. I will I will give a thumbs up to that. To, to jet fuel eating eels being the other problem that's keeping your rocket ship from working. I get a thumbs down for that. That's, that's stupid. Um, all right, let's move on to episode four, which was, I think, the most boring of all of the boring episodes. Um, it's going to be the most boring TV show I've ever seen in my whole life. But it is family friendly. <laughs> this is true. In episode yes. four, basically they find out that there are other groups of people who have crash landed on the planet. 
and the mom and dad go to meet some of them. Some of those groups have been trying to contact the big spaceship that they came from, which they have found out is orbiting the planet. Like, they're getting broadcasts from the ship, but for some reason the ship doesn't seem to be receiving any of the broadcasts that they are giving back from the ground. And so they, they're trying to figure out a way to um, either boost the signal or figure out what's going on. So the mom and dad go with this other guy who briefly traveled with the sketchy fake doctor lady Mm -hmm. to this site to see if they can figure out more about the signal there. Once they get to the site, they find that the satellite from their big orbiting ship has also crash landed on the planet. So there is no way that the ship can receive their signals, period. Um, apparently the people on the ship have not figured it out because they still keep broadcasting to the ground anyways. The mom and dad get trapped under this big dome and have to like talk about their marriage and then eventually get out of it. Meanwhile, the kids are chilling and Will is like, my robot I think might have murdered some people and I don't know what's going to happen with him and my dad so I'm going to go hide him in a cave. And so then the other two girls find out about this. So they all decide to go hide the robot in a cave. And then they go to a cave. Along the way, they spot another group of survivors. And one of the kids sees the robot. And then they blackmail him into keeping it a secret. They go to the cave. They drop off the robot. They come back. And then they don't tell the parents what happened to the robot. They're just like, oh, he just wandered off. And that's all that happens. This would sound like more would more had happened based on your description, but like it is important to remind people that these episodes are like an hour long, a a full hour, hour. yeah, an hour, hour. like not. And I described this episode in excruciating detail just now. Uh, You did, (laughs) yeah, that is all of the things that you did manage to miss the two completely tiny things that I do want to comment on, though. Okay, the first one is they decide to like expand their little ship. And in when they do that, they have to watch this, like, welcome to Alpha Centauri video. And in the video, there are horses. And I just want to know who in their right mind would decide, we're starting a new colony on a planet far, far away. Let's bring horses with us. (laughs) Oh, Caitlin, this surprises me zero. (laughs) You know why? The more we find out about Alpha Centauri, the planet they're going to, it only accepts the quote unquote best of the best who can both pay for the mission and pass all their stupid tests. It's a bunch of rich elitists there. Of course they're going to want their stables. Are you kidding me? It's it's also entirely possible that it's just a false advertising because they like talk to the one guy who's been back and forth and he's like, it's not a paradise. Like, everything you think you're escaping, you just bring it with you. Get your couples counseling now while you can. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to state for the record, horses are a terrible choice. Uh, when I was taking my animal science classes, we would always be like, here's how these animals work. And then there's horses. And horses are weird. And horses are trying to die. And horses just repeatedly try to die. And they don't reproduce very easily. And they can't throw up. And they colic very easily. And they're just... Caitlin. You are ignoring the fact that rich people want their stables. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like there's, there must be like just a, uh, like a big lake there too. That's just, just for yachts. Yeah. That's a yachts only lake. <laughs> yeah. They have a country club, you know. Uh, yeah. And again, this could just be false advertising as Penny notes. Everyone has great abs in the video and not everyone with enough money is going to have great abs. So <laughs> Um, so Brady, I think you said you wanted to talk about something from this episode. Yeah, so there's, there's a scene when they're walking through the woods on the way to the cave, which takes up the majority of the episode, but there, there's a bit where they they walk through a field and they find this field of, 
of flowers that respond to like they Sound. they clap and then yes. the the flowers around them kind of open and it's very like visually very pretty. So the first thing it made me think of was kind of the opposite of that but there's a plant called mimosa pudica which is it's called like the touch me not or the shrinking plant and it's a plant that responds to any kind of stimulation like touching it or even like blowing on it or shaking it and it it uh, folds up its leaves so it has these leaves that are kind of out and then any sort of stimulation the leaves will even not just the leaf you touch but that whole like branch of the plant the leaves will like kind of fold up Mm-hmm. Um, as this sort of protective mechanism. And it, apparently it's it's this described thing called rapid plant movement. Of there's, you know, you don't think of plants as being things that will move or respond to stimuli in a way you can see, but but there's a bunch of them out there. So that that's one of them. Um, kind of the most well-known one probably is like the Venus flytrap. So I read a little bit about kind of the way these things work. And it's, uh, in both cases, they have sort of these, uh, the Venus flytrap has kind of, tr- these little hairs within it that get triggered um, or just the touching of the this other shrinking plant and it sets off this essentially like electrical action potential that there's positively charged ions I think they're usually calcium ions within whatever cell gets touched and then those get transported from cell to cell and change the the charge or the concentration in those cells enough that they will uh, either like take in water or and make this the cell swell up or lose water and make the cell shrink and so then you can use that that actually changes the shape of whatever structure those cells make up so like the venus flytrap the two parts of it are are initially convex shaped mm-hmm. um, and they sort of bow outwards and then the if the cells in the middle shrink and the cells on the uh, along the outside swell it changes shape and becomes concave which then makes it kind of close shut and trap whatever insect is inside. That's super interesting too, because I usually think of plants as having relatively rigid cell walls, but like clearly in this yeah. case, that's not totally true. The example that I thought of is more, it responds to stimulation like touching or moving air by by shrinking in to protect itself. So I'm like, why would they open up when they hear clapping? But it it's the, so when I kind of theoretically got thinking about it, it's the flower part of the plant that's the one that's the part that opens up so maybe there's some sort of relationship between these plants and whatever pollinates them because the flower is usually kind of the reproductive part of the plant so that you know whatever the pollinating insect or whatever that would come around would make this sort of sound or the beating of its wings and so these plants are you know kind of hiding the rest of the time but then open up when they think that they can be pollinated and then as as I was looking into this I actually found a more recent article because it's and it's unclear whether it's the the movement of air or the actual sound itself they they kind of make it seem like it's they're responding to the sound of the clapping mm-hmm. and and there is actually an article that suggests that plants may actually be able to sort of hear or respond to sound mm-hmm. um, and they found this uh, this species of a flower that when they played the the sound of the frequency that a bee's wings make when they're beating, the plant could actually pick up on, like it's tuned to pick up on that vibration at that specific frequency, and those plants will actually increase how sweet their nectar is to be, be more attractive to whatever the like, pollinating insect is as it's coming around. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that, I guess, is more of a like science thumbs up of this seems like something that on an alien world could actually 
theoretically exist. Yeah, that was a thing that I noticed and it ended up being more plausible than I thought it was. One of the like tiny, tiny things that I'm actually hoping you can uh, contribute to, Brady, is when the daughter who is a doctor or trained to be a doctor, uh, Judy, goes to like the other ship to treat the person that we saw in episode two who was kind of passed out. So she goes in and this patient is conscious but not responding to... Like, she's not talking to them. I was, this is like the weirdest question to have, but I was kind of like, what would consent actually look like in this situation? Because there are like really specific kind of scenarios and rules and things that have been thought through around like consent with doctors. And like, if you come across an unconscious patient who needs help, like there is like assumed consent. But if you come across someone who's conscious, you are supposed to get consent from that person. Like, she just sort of starts treating her and it ends up kind of being okay because she sort of gains trust from the patient. But I'm like, I think you're supposed to have consent before you just start like ripping people's bandages off. You know, the thing is, if it's, you know, there's there, if it's someone that you can kind of convincingly enough say that they're not capable or able to give consent for themselves, either due to like psychiatric issues or mental or, or even medical issues, you know, if you have somebody that's sedated or... Uh, you know, not able to to answer that. The assumed consent extends beyond just unconsciousness, but if for whatever reason the person's not deemed capable, and usually you want to have some sort of like professional documented opinion of that, of like usually uh, like you have two separate parties kind of that are not the person that's going to be caring for them, but people that are able to just evaluate them and say like, this is not someone that's capable of consenting for themselves. Right. And consent laws vary over time and they vary by country. But what was surprising, so it was less surprising to me that they wouldn't necessarily have that. And more surprising that Judy wouldn't just like ask for some kind of consent because wouldn't even I assume, like try being like, hey, I'm going to do this yeah, now. Yeah, like or, I assume that she okay? was yeah. trained in the United States. The family appears to be from the United States. <laughs> so. I really enjoyed how you could tell that everyone had just been in this traumatic spaceship crash because they all had like a number of identical like fake cuts yeah like perfectly (laughs) linear two inch cuts on their faces yeah well and the cuts are actually from the diamond rain is that right nicole yeah something like that (laughs) they remember i kind of blocked the whole thing in the second episode they (laughs) some of them were in a storm a, a, a rock rainstorm where rocks were falling from yeah, the sky. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't raining oh, wow. diamonds, but it was raining rocks for a while. Yeah. Uh, but yes, they were all eerily similar. <laughs> and just remember that a few days ago, the mom had compartment syndrome and they had a cut <laughs> into her leg, but she's fine now. Don't worry about <laughs> it. They briefly mention a thermal degradation reactor, which like converts their human waste into some kind of fuel, and it like would take years. There do, do appear to be sort of thermal systems you can use to decompose things and they've been theorized as a source of fuel but i could not find evidence of something currently i'll just accept that as Mm -hmm. plausible future tech uh there's also some space jellyfish very much at the end of this episode that are very pretty but i have no idea how those are supposed to work yeah my my kids like that part I mean, I will say I don't like this show, but it is very pretty. And they did use their special effects budget well. Like, all of the scenes with the special effects look very nice. All right. So, uh, episode five. Uh, Basically, they're still just, like, dorking around. Uh, A bunch of the humans (laughs) have gotten together, and they're like, okay, 
The ship can't hear us from space because they lost the satellite. Maybe we can build a giant flashlight so that they can see us from space. So all of the humans are building this giant space flashlight. Uh, that's pretty much all that happens. Uh, we get some flashbacks to the Robinsons deciding to go to Alpha Centauri and Will failing his test, which we'd already known about, um, but we actually get to see it. And we also see the sketchy doctor lady just prowling about aimlessly. It's seriously unclear what her plan is or what she's trying to do. She is, yeah. but- I have no idea what she is attempting to accomplish. <laughs> I don't know either. She is by far the worst character because... She's just there to add, like, a low hum of menace. But there's plenty of low hum of menace already. We're on an alien planet trying to kill because them. Because you're lost in yes, space. Yes, <laughs> It sucks, though, because she's a good actress. Oh, she though. is like, a good actress. Like, Parker I Posey, I like Parker Posey a lot, but... I don't uh, fault anything on Parker Posey. It's definitely the writing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so she's kind of, like, aimlessly prowling about the forest at night, and she sees this critter that eats giant dragonflies, and so when they turn on the giant space flashlight, she kind of signals to the critter, and the critter breaks their giant space flashlight, because, of course, all of the dragonflies are attracted to the giant space flashlight. And then the animal tries to eat some people because definitely an animal that's mostly interested in giant bugs would also be interested in eating people. It did previously exactly. chase them in a previous in the in the immediately prior episode. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, and and so Will has to call his robot out of hiding to go fight the creature, and another one shows up, and so he you know, fights them off and turns into the form that we had previously seen on the spaceship where he had like four arms instead of two and looks much less human. Um, And so now all of the people realize that the robot that Will has is the scary robot that was on the spaceship. There's a subplot too where the mom, where the mom is like, I don't, the sun is rising super early and like faster than it would be if it's just a dude to... Um, the position of the planet and so she takes a giant weather balloon out to space and she takes some measurements and then she comes back down but she doesn't actually tell anyone what she found so i assume that's going to come up later yeah the uh, there were some things with that whole part not the least of which is the the hot air balloon that can go up into space <laughs> um so yeah that so bit I... actually more plausible than you would realize oh no it's not plausible it's not plausible caitlin uh, high the, altitude ballooning the, the, and high altitude uh, like jumps. But Caitlin, she goes to three hundred and fifty thousand. Oh wait, where do they show that? <laughs> they when she's up in when space. When she's looking at the sun. When she's looking she's got, at the like, sun. Her helmet on. She has a little thing on her wrist, and it says that she's at three hundred. Oh yeah, no, she's feet. definitely not that high up. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So. So, yes, high-altitude weather balloons are a thing. We do send weather balloons up to take uh, measurements in the atmosphere. The problem is, is that weather balloons only go to a little over 100,000 feet in the atmosphere. And granted, this is an alien planet, but, you know, the reason why, for example, helium rises um, down where we are is because helium is less dense than the atmosphere around us. But, of course, the atmosphere thins the further up you get and so at some point you can no longer rise just using helium and other um, lighter than air gases that we use down here on earth she appears to be fully in space yeah she is fully in space and so she rises to a height of three hundred fifty thousand feet 
Um, from what I could find, the highest recorded weather balloon is at 173,000 feet. And it, she's just like, frankly, at an altitude that is too high for a, a balloon to bring her all the way up there. The other thing is she detects Hawking radiation coming from the sun. And Hawking radiation is a purely theoretical form of radiation that um, Stephen Hawking has uh, claimed could theoretically happen when basically you have a particle... From what I can understand, the particle either, like, splits in two or there are two, like, similar particles and one falls into the black hole and the other one escapes the black hole and it gives off uh, radiation. And so I'm not sure how she's detecting this from the sun. Just the sun scope? is not a black hole. Like, yeah, with well, just a are scope. Are they trying to imply that the sun is going to supernova and become a black hole? I, like... I honestly have no idea. I have no idea. But she's she's detecting this and this is the sort of thing that you wouldn't be able to detect until there is a black hole, and I cannot stress this enough, is still theoretical. Like, this is, like, our whole thing with faster-than-light particles in the flash. Like, this is all purely theoretical, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to say the highest recorded skydive slash space jump is 41,419 meters, which I was converting that. In feet, it's 135,889 feet and, like, an inch. Um, so, you know, still not 350,000 feet. Oh, so they're not using the metric system uh, in the future. Yeah, that's, well, that's what I thought was interesting, too, is it, I was thinking about that when I was looking into this, and I am almost positive it said feet. Yeah, no, I thought that was, like, suspicious when she was doing it, but I didn't see that, I didn't notice that measurement of, on her arm. Yeah. And you can, there's actually kind of an, a bunch of amateur videos of people like attaching their GoPro to a weather balloon and sending it up. And you do start to see the curvature of the earth and some of the other things they show, but no, you would not be able to get 350,000 feet. That's just way too high to be able to go up with an air (laughs) balloon. The the whole idea that you can just fly into space with a hot air balloon is complete nonsense. The other thing that I thought was funny is the giant space flashlight. And so I was looking into how much light do you need to produce to be seen from space? It turns out when you don't have light pollution it's not that much actually and so the does it rise as like a beam in the space (laughs) though i I don't think so no but the funny part about this episode is they're basically like from what i could tell just basically stapling sheet metal together to protect this giant led that they're shining up into space i think it's mylar because at one point he's like we need more mylar the the coverage is spotty because this is Maybe. By the way, a much more like the conflict with him is going to be much more interesting, I feel like, than with Dr. Smith. But Dr. Smith is who we spend all the time on. This is like the power hungry guy that apparently was elected to lead them when they get to Alpha Centauri. And he happens to have been part of the group that fell. And so he's like, I'm in charge now. I'm awful. I do. En- I-, I enjoyed the little jokes of like every time he-, he shows up, someone will say to somebody else, like, I voted for the other yeah. guy. <laughs> Um, and so I found a core article that was talking about how much light you need to be able to see from space. Um, according to their calculations, which I did not verify because I did not feel like it, um, <laughs> a 60 watt light bulb could theoretically be seen from space if you don't have any other light pollution. Of course, that would still be hard to see just because it's a very small pinprick of light. But um, if you remember in the movie Deck the Halls, apparently one of the characters wanted to put so many Christmas lights on his house that it could be seen from space. And so a group of students 
uh, figured out uh, how many LED lights you would have to put on your house to be seen from the space. It turns out you only need 2,638 LED lights to be seen from space, assuming no light pollution and clear skies, which, I mean, granted, on this planet, there isn't uh, light pollution, and that's actually not that many Christmas lights. So I don't think it would actually be that hard to see from space, and I'm not 100% sure why they need to build the giant flashlight and why they can't just, like, turn on all their LEDs. I don't, I don't know, but uh, I guess I'm just not a super smart scientist. Well, you know, is we should just get a bunch of laser pointers and point them and try to <laughs> put them into the cockpit. You know, the... I'm, I'm yeah, the I think guy. You're just gonna make that ship crash too. I'm the guy we all voted yeah. for to be in charge, and so I am gonna be the one whose idea gets made, and I'm not gonna listen to anyone else's ideas. Well, the other funny thing is they they show the mom while she's up in space and you can see the light beam in the distance and there are in fact cloudy skies over where they are but somehow you can still see the beam of light so maybe they just have a giant magic laser pointer that they're pointing at the skies and they need to build all the shielding around it so that no one loses their sight from their giant laser pointer sure 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 let's go with that i also think it's interesting that you can see the mom can see the light but the i mean maybe i'm misremembering orbit um but the station which is allegedly within 20 minutes of being directly over the light doesn't see the light at all i mean i think the idea of trying to signal the the big spaceship in space with light is actually a really good idea but they made it unnecessarily complicated which frankly is most of the show oh yeah and we don't have a show without it being unnecessarily complicated but the thing is it's unnecessarily complicated with no plot so that's even more fun (laughs) have you have you guys seen the original last i've seen one i have not the i mean obviously like this is the thing this is like the hollywood thing it's like you know rebooting stuff that doesn't need rebooting but it really is like you know, Lost in Space is not like a super duper well remembered show. I've never seen, I've never like watched an episode of it, but I feel like what most people know about it, if they know anything about it, is that there's a robot who says Andrew Will Robinson, and his job is to protect Will Robinson. And so, why why is the show so far? Why is the main point of tension? Is the robot going to protect Will Robinson? <laughs> like like. And, and if you're, and if the answer is, well, people don't know that, then it's like, well, why did you reboot Lost in Space? Why didn't you just make a different show about yeah. a robot? Th- this is actively hurting itself by grafting itself onto like the pre-existing property. Yeah. And I, and from what I do know about Lost in Space, who is gonna like Lost in Space and then watch this and be like, oh yeah, that's that Lost in Space stuff that I've been waiting for, you know, for <laughs> thirty years. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. I just find the the tone the tone of it just inexplicable. It's like, it's like if Lost was actually a reboot of Gilligan's Island. Yes, like, exactly. Those are not, those are not yes. the same. Like those are not the same thing. Yes. you're not trying to get the same things out of those. You know. Yes, I totally agree. I think that's a great analogy to make to the show. I know Nicole keeps being like, "Why, why would we watch this show?" <laughs> but like, this is kind of what made me interested in talking about this show on our show is that. So my introduction to the new Lost in Space is I watched an episode that we still have not gotten to. So it must be, I don't know, seven, eight. It was really clear to me, having also watched the original Lost in Space with my dad, that they were like, the way we're going to make this more serious and gritty is by adding more science, but that the science they were adding was not good. (laughs) But the problem is you say that they add more science, but they haven't even added that much science. Like... 
we had to group the three episodes together because I watched three and four and I was like, I don't know, eels that eat jet fuel? What science is there? They're leaning more on science as like a foreboding, I think, which is the issue. So like in this episode, the mom like does her thing. She's like, oh, maybe like Kepler's law doesn't work here, which I looked up Kepler's law and A, there's more than one of them and B, it has to do with like planetary orbit and stuff. And I'm like, uh, I'm pretty sure that's the same everywhere, but fine, whatever. <laughs> but she like goes and does her like unrealistic experiment and finds this theoretical Hawking radiation I feel like maybe the writers of The Flash have a more heavy hand with their like sprinkling of science terms in. But in a similar way, I feel like the writer's room was like, let's use science to be scary, but none of us actually know science. So let's grab a couple words, throw them in, and then like explain them in a way that has nothing to do with what they actually are. Right, but that's exactly what The Flash does. And at least The Flash happens to have a plot every episode. <laughs> I'd be interesting what you guys are doing with season one to you, sh- you guys should do like an episode on the old show just to see yeah if i can, like what what that's if like. <laughs> i can find it i would be willing to do that i just don't know where to stream it important plot points for us to mention if people are not watching this and like listening dr smith now has the gun and dr smith oh yeah she has stole been it, yeah. messing with everyone's head but has also tried to make a pact with the robot. She's like, hey, when Will betrays you, come be my friend. And also I would like you to kill people for me. So Dr. Smith still there being sort of like, I'm here just to be creepy. There in this fifth episode is a moment where we watch Will fail his test. And it's a test where he's doing tangrams in a hyperbaric chamber that's steadily going up in atmosphere. And I just want to reference back to a previous episode where Nicole found some great links of showing how when you're at high altitude, nobody can really make good decisions and their brains don't work right. And Not even fighter pilots. Yeah. So your 11-year-old child is, of course, going to fail this test. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The whole... The, the, this is this goes back to my point. I think that Alpha Centauri is a place with a bunch of smug elitist jerks, and I also don't want to live there. <laughs> oh, yeah. So in... I think it's this episode, but it might have been episode four. There is a moment where they actually, like, flashback to the family, minus the dad, who is deadbeat. Uh, I mean, he's, like, off, quote, saving the oh, world. Oh, yeah. Wait, wait. I have, to, I have to mention this... I have to mention this real quick. There is a part in episode five where he's talking to Will and like Will is sort of reluctantly admitting to his dad that the robot might have been the thing that caused the ship to uh He's to such crash. a bad parent. He's such a bad parent. And <laughs> oh, he, I know what you're talking and, about, he yeah. and he tells Will, Will, <laughs> I raised you better than this. And my note is lol, you didn't even raise Will, you dummy. <laughs> <laughs> I think also like, at that point he says something to him like that's I think he literally just says like you're just a kid like to dismiss so like bad. his opinion he's like he you're had just a kid. moment of good parenting oh. earlier in the episode and then he like just completely bits he it lost all of the goodwill yeah the, oh, the parents yeah. but oh they but gosh. they show a flashback to the mom and all the kids listing pros and cons for going to Alpha Centauri versus staying on Earth. And I would just like to say, based on that list, there were not enough pros to make me go to Alpha Centauri. Like It was bad. (laughs) And like any place that requires your 11-year-old child to complete a rigorous set of tests that even adults fail seems like a bad place to live i was i was surprised i guess i've never seen the old show so like i thought that they were all kind of like alone like i was surprised when they 
when there were like other people so on they the are pretty um, much alone in the original show and that i thought was odd too because for three episodes they're pretty much alone and then basically in between episodes they've discovered a whole bunch of others there's like survivors. a colony basically yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. it's like so why didn't we get that episode? <laughs> the one where you like have the exciting discovery there are other people and then have to like navigate your way across this foreign landscape to find them. Because it happens, I think, just at the start of, I guess, episode four is they're just yeah. like, all right, well, we're on our way to visit the neighbors. <laughs> and you're just like, wait, what neighbors? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's very, that, that, that too is a very like lost, it seems like they're like, they're going to get up into like this very like kind of lost-esque like people on the i almost said people on the island but like people on the planet like don't trust each other and they've got secrets which which kind of like retroactively explains like what they're trying to do with oh yeah, yeah Dr. Smith. um it's it's like a very like sawyer from lost even like like the way they have like uh even the way they have like flashbacks and stuff is like a very like lost thing so I mean, may- maybe we're just misinterpreting the title, and it's actually just lost. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Lost dot 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 in space. <laughs> if it is a reboot of Lost, the first season of Lost was more satisfying than this. Maybe we've just got this wrong all along. It's not a reboot of Lost in space. It really is just a reboot of Lost, and it's going to turn out that they all died and they're in the purgatory. Spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. We could talk about the end of Lost for another hour. Oh my gosh. So um, bad. But we should probably segue. So yeah, we are part of the Kaleidoscope Media Network. And we have three other sister shows that are part of our little network. So uh, Ryan and Brady have a show called Out of Contracts. Did you guys want to talk about your show for a little bit? Uh, what our show is, is we have a random number generator uh, that has a number associated with every single episode of a Star Trek show that's ever come out. And then we uh, type, we, we kind of uh, use the random number generator to generate different episodes of the of those various shows. And then we talk about them. And we often, not all the time, but we, we often have not seen the episode surrounding it. And so we're kind of coming into it you know, without any, without any context. And so we just kind of talk about, you know, stuff that pops up in a lot of Star Trek episodes and like what, uh, you know, what the messages of the episodes, what they're trying to say and viewing them in this order kind of causes you to question a lot of the universe stuff in a way, like a a constant thing we talk about on the show is how does money work in, in Star Trek? Because like they claim to explain it, but it actually doesn't make any sense. Like, (laughs) you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, and so yeah, that was, we just kind of we do that every other uh, every other Sunday. Those come out. Yeah, I think it's the perfect show for someone who is vaguely familiar with Star Trek, maybe watched some of it as a kid, but is not like so into it that they know what everything is. Because then you feel equally as out of like context as the uh, yeah. episode. So it's like, oh, these are my people. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, great. And then you can also check out Here's Johnny, which is a horror podcast um, done by two guys who talk about horror in both video games and in movies. And then they also have interviews with other people who like talking about horror. And then Wizard Studies, uh, which is run by two ladies who talk about various topics or characters from Harry Potter and go into a lot of detail about them. So I will put in a promo for one of our shows here. Do you ever wish you could take a class on Harry Potter? We did, and that's why we started Wizard Studies Podcast and joined Kaleidoscope Media Network to work with this and other podcasts. 
On Wizard Studies, we discuss all kinds of topics from the wizarding world, from character profiles to Hogwarts house breakdowns. No matter how much you know or don't know, Wizard Studies is the place for you. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Join us, Katie, and Audrey, as we peruse all things Potter. All right, welcome back. This is now Science Corner. Um, Well, Caitlin, do you have something? I do. Um, Unfortunately, my entire science life right now, I feel like, is reading about the novel coronavirus SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19, the disease that it causes. Um, And so that uh, Nicole's editing this, so this will come out while we're still all stuck inside. I have been listening to a podcast lately called This Week in Virology, and it is put on by actual virologists. And so they talk in detail about former kind of pandemics we'd have around viruses and various outbreaks. But right now for months, like since January, they've been having episodes that go in depth to talk about what we know at the time about um, SARS-CoV-2 and how our knowledge of it has been changing over time. It is a commitment. Each episode is two hours long, which is like so much, but it is very interesting for me to listen to because it goes really into detail about this niche kind of virology area, but in a thing that is like extremely applicable to us right now. I'm still about a month behind in listening because again, two hours an episode. Um, and it's interesting also to hear the things that a month ago we knew that like they were talking about that we're just starting to talk about now, but also the things they are talking about that since then have been proven to be not true. Like even from the first episode I listened to of theirs to now, there were some ideas around maybe the origin of the um, SARS-CoV-2 or other things that they're like, yeah, we thought it was this, but now we know it's not. Or we thought it was this and now we know it is. So that is really interesting. It's what I've been listening to. That is interesting. Have they talked at all about the effectiveness of masks that people are making at home? Uh, I think they they have not. I haven't gotten to that yet. So okay. um, they did briefly post an article that was like talking about N95s versus surgical masks. They also put like extensive links to the stuff they talk about um, in their show notes. And I think just generally at the time that I am, they hadn't yet figured out if it was only transmitted aerosolized or respiratory droplets which are actually Mm -hmm. two different things um and they were thinking it was aerosolized but now we think it's respiratory droplets which uh changes the efficacy of various masks so right because that's that's one thing that i've been wondering about because i really have no ability to get like make a mask or anything right right now but last time i went to the grocery store i did see a lot of people wearing masks and a lot of what i have been seeing has been like it can't hurt but we really have no data to show that they are effective at all. Yeah, I mean, the main thing people are worried about is, like, will this cause you to have a false sense of security? So right. don't, like, put on a homemade mask and think that you can go out in a 500-person crowd. Right, and the and the, one of the other articles I think this was really interesting is they also pointed out one of the things they were worried about is this whole guidelines from the CDC saying, like, you should wear something if you can, might make people think that, oh, if I go out, I have to wear an N95 and then, you know, make it even harder for hospitals that legitimately 100% do need those masks to get them. Now, I, I could be wrong about this, but from what I had, like, been reading and hearing, like, too, like, uh, isn't the, the the mask will do more to protect other people from you than it will to protect you from That's other people, That's what I've too, right? read, like, yeah. That, that, like, if you if you wear a mask, it's more to stop you in case you have COVID from spreading it than to keep you from getting sick. 
which I don't think most people who are wearing the masks, I don't, no. I don't know that that's necessarily like why they're. Uh, no, I think uh, I think that, Caitlin's but. right. I think that the masks are being used more as oh, well, this will help prevent me from getting sick. And it's like, no, this will prevent, this will help prevent you from giving it to other people by trying to trap some, uh, trap some of those respiratory droplets. Brady, you have any thoughts on yeah. this? <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of not exactly my, like the area that I've been working mm-hmm. in, but, um, but yeah, from the little I know is that I think, I think part of the problem is we still apparently just don't really know yeah. exactly how it is transmitted and if it's droplet or airborne. Um, cause yeah, cause if it is truly airborne, then, then like you said, the masks are like kind of decrease the amount that you expel if you're the one that has it from transmitting it if you're wearing a mask. But if you don't have kind of the perfect airtight seal and filtering ability of something like an N95, then just wearing like anything over your face is not going to help as much. If it's more droplet and it's actually like, you know, keeping the the little droplets of water when come out when people are coughing or sneezing from getting into your respiratory tract then yeah any type of like face protection definitely like at least theoretically would help i think one of the major reasons they've been trying to almost like discourage it a little bit is because they don't want people sort of hoarding you know like medical grade equipment when it's known that that's in like a shortage now in right you know among people that are actually caring for for people that have it or that so right yeah so anyways i think what we're saying on this podcast is if you have a mask um if you even have a cloth mask it's not a bad idea to wear it it, it can't hurt it's just don't get cocky yeah right in the great words of han solo don't get cocky kid <laughs> that's right <laughs> uh I, actually i did think of something i could uh oh go ahead uh, yeah recommend at least uh, have you guys talked about Sawbones on the show at we all? We have not, but really. I do listen to it. No. So I'm, yeah. Um, so Sawbones is, I mean, it's kind of science and kind of uh, history, but it is it is a kind of a lighter, uh, comedic, but still like very informative, I think, uh, take on medical history. And uh, it's hosted by uh, one of the Mathory brothers, Justin, and his, and his wife, uh, Sydney, who is a doctor. So it's 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 really good. It's there. Your most of the episodes are like between thirty and forty yeah. minutes, so it's like pretty uh, bite sized. But they they uh, will kind of take a different topic every week. And when the show started out, it was a lot of like stuff we used to do that was bad. Like the first episode is about like trepanation and like you know mercury and blood rutting and stuff like that. Uh, but then uh, over time, they've kind of run out of not run out, but they've kind of found fewer and fewer of those things to talk about, and they've been talking about kind of like more modern issues and the historical basis is for them. But then also like, here's why this is still a problem. Here's like some of the science behind like why this is happening or why this works or doesn't work. It kind of before all this uh, COVID stuff started happening, they were on this kick where it kind of had sadly become a, here's a bunch of fake crap that people are still doing um, that they shouldn't be doing. (laughs) They've done like multiple episodes on like goop and stuff. Mm. But then, yeah, now for the last like several weeks, um, most of their episodes have been related in some form or another to uh, coronavirus. So, like, they had the history of, like, quarantine, uh, like, the history of, like, like, like kind of how people learned that you need to wash your hands. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they did one, I think, last week about the history of, like, using masks and how that came to be. And so they, they kind of start with, like, what was it was what it was like before that and then 
why it started changing, how people figured it out. And they usually will end with like, here's a little bit of information about like what we do now and why it works and stuff. And uh, it might be a nice thing to listen to, you know, they, they stress that they are not like a, a device show, but they do kind of talk about like, I, I think some just kind of very basic stuff that it's kind of good to know in these times. Um, yeah. So, and it's, it's generally reasonably a, a pretty light they have a light touch because one of the one of the hosts is not a doctor but is a professional comedian podcaster. So mm-hmm. that's great. So mine has nothing to do with coronavirus Yay! or COVID or SARS-CoV two. Um, mine is sort of tangentially related to science, but whatever. I'm gonna count it. So most of you have heard of the game Animal Crossing. Yes. Uh, if you have not <laughs> heard of the game Animal Crossing. I don't think you have friends uh, (laughs) because I have heard about it nonstop since it came out. And one of the interesting parts about Animal Crossing is that the characters speak a fake made up language, um, but the fake made up language is actually localized. So it sounds different in the US than it sounds in Japan. And there is a really interesting video from Polygon that talks about um, kind of the history of using these beeps, like beep sounds to represent dialogue and also um, kind of the history of this in Animal Crossing and why they have ended up localizing it. Basically their conclusion, which is how I'm tying it to science, is that psychologically they want you to start playing Animal Crossing and to feel at home in your fake island with all of your little animal friends. And it's going to be easier to do that if... The speech, even though it is not English, sounds kind of like English. Um, And the same thing goes for people who are playing this game in Japan, that you're going to feel more home on your island if your characters sound kind of like they're speaking Japanese. Yeah, I saw that video. That was really interesting. Yeah, it was really fascinating. So I feel like I didn't describe it well enough to do it justice. I promise it was it's like 15 minutes long, but it was so interesting. They go through like the history of just kind of how it was initially just due to the technical limitations of mm-hmm. that you couldn't have recorded voice in games and like why they came up with these other things to make it feel like things people were still talking to you. Mm-hmm. And then, and then they have a, like a language expert at the end that talks about that, that you can only make, like if you try to make gibberish sounds, it's still going to be in a like cadence and sort of language of sounds that sounds like whatever your native language is and so like english gibberish is going to sound different than japanese gibberish yeah okay so i think i think we're all good i think it's time to wrap it up yes uh so thank you so much for listening and thank you so much ryan and brady for being on our podcast thank you for suffering three whole episodes of (laughs) (laughs) no thank you guys for having us on this was a lot of fun this this part of it was a lot of fun (laughs) we always have a good time talking about things even if we didn't enjoy consuming the thing i mean geostorm is still one of my favorite episodes and we all hated hated it (laughs) hated it (laughs) so you can if you want to uh talk to us or uh you know hear our kind of announcements on the show you can find us on twitter at tnhsw pod we also have an instagram account that i've been trying to be better about posting to that is also at tnhsw pod ryan and brady is there any place that people can find your you and your podcast 
Uh, yeah, you can go to uh, Contrex on Twitter, uh, which is spelled C-O-N-T-R-E-K-S. You can also email us at outofcontracts at gmail.com, or you can go to our website at outofcontracts.podbean.com, and our, our show is just available wherever you would get a show. Awesome. And you can find me and Caitlin individually. I'm at Nicole Luckless. And I'm at Caitlin Vanoss. And uh, Ryan, you have a Twitter I do, yeah. Uh, my Twitter handle, I think I'm thinking about changing it, but my Twitter handle is at RT, RT Howitzer, uh, spelled like the big can. Um. <laughs> you can also find our, more about our show by going to our website, that's not science.com, and make sure to check out the blog post for our episode. We'll post all of the articles and videos and other links there. And I think we're trying to start um, posting little mini outtakes from our episodes, which are things that we cut out because of time or because they slowed down the flow of the episode, but are still kind of little fun bite-sized chunks. So um, that's where those will be posted as well. We still have stickers. Even in the Corona apocalypse, we still have stickers. Yes. So if you would like a sticker. I found them. And we, <laughs> yes, Caitlin found her stickers. And then she also made more stickers. And they are fantastic. Um, so you can get a smaller matte sticker or a larger holographic sticker or both if you ask very nicely. Um, and you can get that by either sending us a DM on Twitter or by sending us an email to our email address, which is that's not how science works podcast at gmail.com. If you are, want to be sure you spelled that correctly, you can go to our website and that's under the contact us information. Yep. Our next episode, we are going to be talking about Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, and you can listen to us talk about that with uh, Medikin, who is our <laughs> one and only expert on radiation <laughs> and plutonium. <Yep. laughs> so we are once again inviting her to uh, talk to us about that. So that should be fun. Um, yes. So yeah, that'll be our next episode. So. Anything else? No, nope, that's it. Stay safe. <laughs> yes yeah, stay safe self-isolate be smart wash your hands lots don't touch your face yep you don't want to get sick and you don't want to get your loved ones sick yeah, soap and water is legitimately the best way to wash your hands with this particular virus so yes so just scrub them make sure you scrub under your nails and stuff too on the back of your hands yeah and don't touch your face yeah <laughs> all right thanks for listening <laughs> yeah thank you yeah, thanks. <laughs> All right. Bye. The original series was made in an era where, like, you kind of had goofy science fiction shows every once in a while. So having a robot that just kind of, like, rolls around and says, danger, danger, Will Robinson, danger, makes a lot more sense than in this show where they're like, we're a prestige Netflix television show. We have millions of dollars to spend. Look how pretty we are. Oh, yeah, our writers just forgot to write a plot.